The Tom Woods Show, episode 2100. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, I don't know about you, but I am running into a lot of progressives saying, look, police, fire, schools, these are all great examples of socialism. Well, let's focus on that school example. I've got a free ebook called Education Without the State that makes a pretty darn good case for a stateless approach to education. Pick it up at nostateeducation.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. Our old friend Jim Ostrowski, attorney and author, is back with us today. He's got a brand new book called Free the Children, How Red State Americans Can Liberate Their Children from Government Schools. And he thinks that given the recent craziness in the schools, of course, there's been craziness for a long time, but the particularly ramped up craziness of the past few years gives people a unique opportunity to make real strides against an institution in the United States that is viewed, of course, as indispensable and one of the most important and amazing institutions we have, and it's not. I mean, the propaganda around this is just ridiculous. If we had an institution that generated such bad results in the private sector, we'd never hear the end of it. There'd be calls for investigations, people to be fired, imprisoned. But if it's the government's institutions, well, we make every excuse in the book for them. So Jim wants to take action, and I want to talk about that. So Jim, welcome back. Great to be here again, Tom. Thank you. You really churn them out, uh, Jim. Well, I don't know. It's like you're more productive than you were when you were younger. You know, I got all these ideas pent up after law practice, and I'm getting a little bit of free time. So I'm like trying to get out what I can. I am 64, you know, I'm in a big hurry. Well, this one is particularly timely, I think. So the idea behind it is summed up really in the subtitle, but, but you don't of course, tell us the strategy until we start flipping through. But before we get to the strategy, we have to establish that it's a good thing to want to pursue this strategy and that what's being done in the schools is actually bad. And this is really, really difficult. And I'm sure you, as somebody who's written a book on this subject, know, I'm sure this is an uphill battle, let's say, because the American school system is like the American church You are immediately branded a heretic. There are no rational arguments you can use. You can raise all the arguments in the world. Even if you just limit yourself, not to the outright bad stuff, but just to the ineffectiveness of the schools. If you look at how absolutely uninformed American adults are on the most basic concepts, the way Brian Kaplan put it in his book on the subject, he said, let's say you knew half the letters of the alphabet. That doesn't mean you're half literate. It means you're illiterate. And so, likewise, if people know half of the most basic scientific concepts, then they don't know anything about science. They don't know anything. And survey after survey shows they just don't know anything. Yet you can bring all this up, and it doesn't matter. So you're making an appeal. You're not trying to convince people who can never be convinced. You're not trying to convince people who are worshiping in that church. You're trying to convince people who are in that church that, wait a minute, I don't think you realize this is a church, and... In this church, the priests and the bishops hate your guts and they're, they're doing terrible things to your kids. So how do you make a brief case that government schools, which you get, quote unquote, for free, yeah. are bad for your kids? Well, really, Tom, this is a sequel to my first book on this, which government schools are bad for your kids, 2009. And in that book, I 
uh, just glancing at it to prepare for the show. I start out with some very non-ideological arguments. I mean, the first chapter is about crime. The second chapter is about drugs. The third chapter is about sex. It's very empirical. And only later do I talk about a little bit of ideology in the later chapters about how the schools brainwash people. But I don't think people were ready for the message. I didn't have the visibility that I think I've had in recent years. So I said, well, let me do a sequel because we've seen both through the discussion of critical race theory and the horrible treatment of students during the lockdown, that people are ready for this message. They, they really weren't ready for the message now, but a significant portion of the population, mostly concentrated in red states, but also blue, are ready for this message. So I thought, well, let me update the research. All the research shows that everything I talked about in the book has gotten essentially worse and the propaganda has gotten worse. The political situation is, is worse. And so I think one of the few bright spots in the liberty movement, and thank people like you for keeping it alive in the dark years, was homeschooling. But the homeschooling trend has skyrocketed. So I think for a change, maybe we're going to be surfing with the wave here and just sort of backing up what, what's already a, a real movement. And then if we concentrated in the red states and ask the Republican Party to finally you know, fulfill its promises, I think we can make some progress here. Well, I think you're right that things are different now that, as you say, the craziness of the past couple of years did actually have an effect even on people outside the, you know, let's say our circles. There were some people, you know, who even think of themselves as being good card-carrying members of the Democratic Party who just thought this makes no sense. And I can see with my own eyes that in other countries they have school and it's functioning normally and they're not doing these horrible things to the kids and making them sit apart at lunch and not speak. And if they lift their mask for too long, they get punished. This is all ridiculous and stupid. So they are seeing that. I guess somehow I hadn't really thought about that until I really started reading your book. But when I saw the subtitle, I thought the key sticking point here is, do the people in the red states want to do this? And it could be that they're not quite, they're on the verge of realizing that they want to do it, but they're still in the mode of, Something's yeah. happening in our schools that I don't like. I better go down and complain at the school board. You know, I think right. some of them are still at that stage. Yeah, and I talk about that in the book. I think it's chapter five. Of, you know, we talk about how the schools really can't be reformed because, you know, not to get all the theory of it, but basically the schools are a bureaucracy. It's, I explain the mechanics of how that works. It's a, it's a unilateral power relationship and the, those with the power are going to, of course, act in their own self-interest. So. Reform, I mean, look, the Republican Party's gotten caught up into this reform thing for 50 years. They're always trying to make a progressive program work better. And it's never worked in any area. And I think I talked about that in my book on on progressivism. So I think people have to realize it. And we talk about the school board elections. And frankly, that's rigged for reasons discussed in the book that the people who tend to vote in these things tend to have a special interest. And yes, you can rouse some passion and get people excited for a year or two. And then basically people burn out because they see that nothing's really changing. So that doesn't work. But yes, there is this attitude, we can reform it, we can fix it. And I really, I think if people read either both books in either order, it doesn't really matter. They'll see, no, no, we've been trying to reform this for like 50, 60 years and it's never really worked. And the schools are are worse than ever. To allude to the point you made earlier, I I think about 20% of Americans are functionally illiterate. We talk about, you know, compulsory education, but if you look at how it actually works, like I think 10% of the people, 10% of the students that are supposed to be there are not there at any given time. So 
The actual goals of the system, if you look at it kindly to them, there's more sinister goals. But uh, if you look at their actual goals, they've actually failed in their goals. People are not educated. This is, the, I think, the least educated American people that's ever existed. We were a very literate country, maybe tied with England before government schools were a factor. So all the facts are on our side, and we just have to push them out there and try to get some activism going in these red states. Because, you know, I, I live in New York. The teachers union controls the whole state. That's where the mask requirement was was kept until we filed a lawsuit against our dear Governor Hochul. I'm looking at your chapter headings to remind me of where I wanted to take all this. And you say the teachers are agents of the Democratic Party. There's no question about that. Your kids are being brainwashed, not educated. No question about that. I love on the critical race theory stuff. They try to do a couple things. Number one, they say, oh, critical race theory is highly abstruse and it wouldn't be taught at the elementary school level. Yeah, okay. Maybe the super duper theoretical apparatus is not taught to them. But the implication that they're to blame because of their race or that white supremacy is a big problem in America, you're telling me that's not being taught in the schools? Get out of town. You stop that. And, you know, and at the same time, when it said, you're not allowed to teach this in the schools, they're all up in arms. But you just told me you weren't teaching it. So why is this a problem? You know? And then we even have, Jim, we even have some libertarians. Now, it's a sliver. It's a sliver. It's that <laughs> never shutting up left libertarian wing, you know, who pretend that it's not really a thing and this is just a right wing talking point and this is a violation of freedom of speech and whatever. Look, this is a government institution that takes my money. And yeah, while it exists, I'm going to tell them that if you're taking my money, you're not going to use it for this purpose. That's how it works. Absolutely. And uh, one of my Facebook friends said, you know, you you right-wingers have only been upset since Brown versus Board. Well, totally false. (laughs) And I don't consider myself a right-winger, but I pointed out that Herbert Spencer talked about this in like, I think it was 1851. And then Isabel Patterson, 1943. The libertarians and classical liberals always understood that if you hand the power over to the government, the government's going to basically brainwash people. And, and I pointed out, not that I'm a big fan of the Republican Party, quite the contrary, but if you look at why Biden beat Trump, it's pretty easy demographically. He won the young people's vote. In other words, he won the votes of people who recently got out of government schools. So again, the people in the red states should really think hard about this and and realize that this experiment has failed. So what then should they do? And of course, we realize that the Republican Party can be a fairly thin reed, you know, on which to base your hopes. Yeah, absolutely. But basically, the idea is that in terms of the two major parties, it's what we have. And it's kind of like the answer I give when people say, you talk about secession, but we have a lot of division within the states too. And I agree with that. But my answer is the states are, for better or worse, what we have. These are the cards we've been dealt. We have to try to play the best hand we can with them. So what is it that you are urging red staters to do then? Well, in chapter seven, I been a political consultant for quite a while, so I put that skill set to work and just came up with a very simple plan for how to dismantle the system. But, you know, the reason why it's good to go into the Republican Party with this program is that they are already on record saying, well, we're against socialism, you know, and government schools are by definition socialism. We're for educational choice. So you go in at least in a party that's pledged to effectuate school choice. So I think the first thing that has to be done, and I don't recommend that this be done overnight because that would be politically suicide, but first of all, this so-called right to education can be repealed 
That may take a couple of years. But the, I think the first practical step that might really help the homeschooling movement, for example, in particular, is to repeal the compulsory attendance laws. Yes, it may be too much of an ask for you know mainstream Republicans to simply get rid of the government schools, although we should, and their program implies that we should. But one thing they could do that's not particularly all that radical is to repeal the compulsory school laws. And that would also implicitly or explicitly also repeal the regulation of private schools and homeschooling. There's no reason that a homeschooler has to you know, sit in a room for seven hours a day. The people that I listen to on homeschooling say three hours a day and these kids are maxed out and they can learn a heck of a lot in three hours. But there's regulations in the various states that make that difficult. So there's a whole sort of you know, step-by-step program in there to follow that people can you know, read the book and put that together. There's an appendix with the relevant laws that need to be repealed. There's contact information for the, the GOP officials, the state officials. And look, I'm just one guy up in Buffalo. I don't run like a political machine. I don't have a big foundation behind me. So I'm, I'm expecting people to take the ball and run with it. I will be happy to you know, help them out in any way, shape or form, go down there even and, and speak. But there's sort of a whole practical program in there. I don't leave too much to the imagination. They just have to, if they're convinced in the goal, they, they read the book and start planning step by step. What would American, let's say, what would the education system, such as it is, what would it look like once the Jim Ostrowski program is implemented? Well, it's funny, Tom, because I was just looking at the first book on the subject, and uh, I think it was a scholar named Thule. He studied what the West was like before compulsory government schools, and he said that schooling was, was virtually universal. So I think there would be schooling. I think in some ways the concept of going to a certain building for seven hours a day, I think in the era of the internet is is somewhat obsolete. So I think there would be a mixture of a variety of approaches. You'd have homeschooling and unschooling. You could have the private religious schools, private secular schools. I think school would be more of a hybrid where you'd be, say, maybe homeschool half the week and then maybe part-time school the rest of the week. But there would be a variety of approaches. You know, the United States was, uh, it's funny, I did a podcast this morning to, to promote the book in front of the Frank Lloyd Wright house in my neighborhood, the Darwin Martin house, which is a fabulous place. And he was apparently homeschooled. And when I rattled off a list of all the homeschooled people at a homeschool event recently in Buffalo, people were just like amazed and cheering at many of the great figures in Western civilization were homeschooled. So we'd be fine. I think we'd be better off and there'd be more opportunity. Things would, and you wouldn't be sending all this money into the bureaucracy. The point I I make is this is $1 trillion and that goes to the political class. So that money then filters to the political machines to advance the entire agenda of big government across the board, not just compulsory government schools. I mean, if you look at the teachers unions, they're supporting left progressive big government everywhere. And, you know, one of the examples I used in the first book was in, in Clarence, which is a wealthy Republican suburb near Buffalo. The teachers unions give most of their money to the Democrats. So the, the Republican taxpayers are, you know, subsidizing the teachers unions that then support the Democratic Party, which is exactly what they oppose themselves. So I think that uh, things would be fine. Things would be a lot better across the board. People would have more money in their pocket. Some of the property taxes in our area and some of the other states are absolutely crushing. It's one of the reasons so many people are leaving Buffalo, New York, which 
they would prefer to stay, but the property taxes on real estate are outrageous. So there'd be a number of benefits, educational, non-educational, and I think there'd be an overall improvement in society and culture. All right, before I go on, let me remind you about an app that's going to make your life way better, that's going to make you well-informed in a short period of time. Sounds kind of like the Tom Woods show a little bit, doesn't it? But I'm talking about Blinkist, which takes all kinds of nonfiction categories of books and slims those books down for you to just 15 minutes of listening or reading. So you get all the key points, no fluff. I've told you about the old, old classics they have, like Machiavelli's The Prince and Seneca on Stoicism, but of course, also a ton of modern books. For example, The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. That is perfect for our audience. And then you'll even find on Blinkist Murray Rothbard's book, For a New Liberty. And that's one of the early libertarian books I read that helped put things together for me, that helped me realize that in one area after another, there was a freedom-based answer to what ails us. It's the kind of thing that changes your life when you read it. And that's the kind of title you'll find many of at Blinkist. Well, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com woods to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com woods to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com woods. We don't have to get into compulsory education because that's a separate thing. But I think some people conflate these two, public schooling and compulsory education, because when they are called upon to defend the government schools, they say, well, without them, the kids would be a bunch of idiots and the parents would neglect them and whatever. But food is even more important than education. And we don't have government grocery stores. And we don't do it that way. And we don't say, well, if somebody doesn't knock on everybody's door and leave a, you know, a crate of produce on the on the stoop, then uh, the parents are going to neglect the kids and not feed them. You know, we, yeah. food is even more important than, than education. We don't act like this. So there's some kind of a mania around it. And it could be that education is a lot more expensive than food. And also that the parents also need food. So they're likely to share some with the kids. Whereas education seems prohibitively expensive to the average person. Now, partly it seems that way, especially because of the central office bureaucracy that exists in the government school systems that just grows all the time, the per student expenditure is so high that people think, well, if I had to spend that, there's no way I could do it. Or they think of some super elite private school and they think, oh, I could never pay for that. And of course, another thing they're not remembering is that these private schools are operating in a system that's rigged against them. They have to build a school that's competing with another school that's being offered at zero price. If they didn't have to do that, there would probably be three times as many private schools. Yeah, I think all the points you you make are correct. And one of the things I talked about at a couple of the homeschool events up in Buffalo is like, you know, education is really too important to leave up to the government. What what expertise does the government really have in in education? And really none. I mean, governments are good at conquering territory and taxing people and driving out competition and expertise and and educating people has never been proven to be something the government's capable of. And I, and I quote Mises and Richard Ebeling and some other figures in, in the book saying, look, the government's not even capable of teaching many of these courses because they're going to propagandize. And in so many subjects, 
depend on political philosophy or economics. What kind of economics or political philosophy are you going to learn in, in a government school? We both know, all the people listening now all know, that you're going to get a sort of a pro-big government point of view. So what I challenge in the books is really, is the government capable of teaching your children at all? And I really don't think they are in a broad range of subjects. You live in a blue state. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, this is not the subject of your book. So in a way, I'm not being entirely fair, yeah. but uh, who said life or the Tom Woods show were fair, right? So <laughs> what do you tell people in a blue state? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, we've had a couple of um, homeschooling events up here. I, I went to an event the other day. There were 100 people there. And I say, look, you don't, you know, I mentioned my book, of course, and they said, but you don't have to live in a red state to liberate your children. You can do so now through through homeschooling or through private school. And as I talk about in the first book, we live in the city of Buffalo, which doesn't have a, quote, school tax. So, and we weren't going to use them anyway. We used the Catholic schools for both of our children. So there's things you can do. You can adjust your lifestyle. You can maybe not go to Disney <laughs> to bring up an interesting recent topic. There's things you could do to adjust your lifestyle. There's certain sacrifices that you might have to make, but it's just a question of what is valuable in your life. And I, I'm not going to cite my family or my own experiences, but I went to Catholic schools. And when I look back at all the people, I'm still in touch with many people. These people ended up doing pretty well for themselves in life. And you know, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. None of these guys, as far as I know, ever got in any legal trouble. But when I when I do represent criminal defendants. I've never seen one who went to a private high school. It doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. But if you look at the people who are in the, you know, Erie County Holding Center or the county jail or the state prisons that I visit every once in a while to see some clients, they mostly went to these government schools. So, you know, if you look at it empirically, scientifically, these places don't work either in theory or in fact. And I think people just have to open their eyes. And I think people's eyes have been opened again by the lockdown and the blatant propaganda that people saw, you know, on the computer when their children were, were locked out of school and allegedly being taught over the computer. And I think that's another thing. It's not just that there were crazy arbitrary rules imposed in the schools that made them downright dystopian, but also that the parents could see for themselves what education looked like because it was coming through on their screens. And exactly. It, I think there are a lot of them thought this is you really need eight hours a day to <laughs> to get this done. Yeah, and one of the things they point out is the prisonization of government schools has gotten you know worse and worse and worse. I mean, it's almost impossible to get into one of these places and even sit in a classroom and watch what's happening. So yes, this lockdown inadvertently gave people uh, some exposure to what was really happening, and many many people didn't like what they were seeing. I went to public school. I don't know. Did you? I went to Catholic school, high school, and grammar school. I went to uh, State University uh, of Buffalo. Okay, well. And then I went to Brooklyn Law School, which is actually, in spite of the name, is a private school. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I, I went to public school through uh, 12th grade, and it was better then than it is now. I felt like it was possible for me in the social studies class to have a different opinion. And then as we would leave, my teacher, who I, I just... I liked her. She, she was very involved. In, I, I came from a cute little picturesque town, 350 years old, North Andover, Massachusetts. It's just a classic New England town. And we have a North Andover Historical Society. And she was very involved in that. And so she was 
she really had a grounding in where she lived and she loved it. And that was a common ground that, that we could share. But she was, a you know, by those standards, a liberal. And so we would leave the classroom and as we would walk together, we would continue the conversation. And I just assume that's the way it's always going to be. I assume that's the way it is everywhere. And and I grew up thinking that yeah. this is just the way adults settle disputes. They never really get them settled, but doggone it, they keep having friendly discussions every chance they get. And that was what my experience was like. I can't imagine having a dissident voice in school today, honestly, what that would be like. You know, the left is resurgent. We know that they did the long march through the institutions. A lot of the 60s people, uh, you know, got degrees and so on in our teaching. And there was a time when we had a strong enough society to survive, you know, sending kids to government schools, but we, we can't anymore. Things are sort of falling apart. The propaganda is extreme. And there's really, I think you'd probably get kicked out of a class, even if you were advocating, you know, moderate republicanism. And, you know, I, I represented a young gentleman who, you know, wore a Trump hat on hat day and the guy, you know, went over and almost grabbed it off of his head. So even if you're advocating for the sitting president of the United States, it's not tolerated by some of these people. So it's gotten bad. There was a time when these schools functioned better than they do now, but that time is gone and we're not getting that time back. I actually don't mind if there's a general and without exception enforced policy that says no political slogans on your clothing while you're in school. Now, anything that distracts us or we start fighting we're discouraging that. If they actually observe that consistently, I wouldn't even mind that because I, I don't need I don't need my, you know, if my kid did go to school, I wouldn't need, well, I guess they're all daughters. So I'll say I wouldn't need her to walk around with a taxationist theft shirt on. You know, that's, that's her very existence <laughs> makes clear that taxation is theft, you know, just talking to her for five minutes is all you need to do there. But yeah, it's obviously enforced with an agenda in mind and, Again, they, as you say, they made the long march through the institutions. They didn't do that for the sake of having civil discussions with their opponents once they finished. You know, that's not why you have the long march through the institutions. Oh, exactly. These are not uh, really rational philosophical ideologies. They're rooted in emotion and, and things of that nature, like I talk about in, in progressivism. So, no, you're not going to get a fair hearing. In fact, you know, it's like, what led me to write the book Progressivism was trying to argue, argue in the best sense of the word, and you couldn't have an argument because they would inevitably end in a temper tantrum. And that's what started me to thinking, I wonder what, what is this progressivism thing all about? So that's what you're getting. And now we have the toxic stew of leftism on top of progressivism. I mean, you know, leftism with its sort of hatred of people with more than you masquerading as some ideology. And then you have progressivism, which I think is rooted in fear. And these are the people teaching your kids. I mean, you know, God help them. Well, Jim has laid it all out in this book that you will read in no time at all. It's super easy to read. But man, that appendix you've got in there, that must have been real, real struggle. I mean, all the states and everything that needs to be done and all the websites and I looked at the table of contents and the appendix was so long. I thought, yeah. what in heaven's name is in this appendix? Yeah, well, all 23 states are covered in there. And boy, that was not fun. I love to write. That was not fun. That was excruciating. But I just, it gives everybody a head start. Not everybody is a legal researcher. So when you go to the appendix, you see the various laws, the constitutional provisions that really need to be expunged and also contact information for the Republican Party, contact information for state legislatures. 
state legislators. And so people can get a head start on their activism and just sort of jump into it. Well, the book is Free the Children, How Red State Americans Can Liberate Their Children from Government Schools by our guest, James Ostrowski. I'm linking to it at tomwoods.com slash 2100. Well, thank you for doing this, Jim, and best of luck with it. Thanks a lot, Tom. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody, before we wrap up, I have a podcast to recommend to you that is going to seem a little unusual, but it sounds to me to be quite interesting. So I haven't listened to it yet, so I can't assure you that it's awesome, but it sure sounds interesting. It's one of my listeners who created it, and it's called The Psychedelic Christian Podcast. So the website is thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. So I hope your spelling is good. You'll get there, thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. And the creator, the host, says, my goal with this podcast is to bring the Christian community into the modern conversation about psychedelics and plant medicine. I do not promote or discourage the use of psychedelics. Rather, I discuss the topic with fellow Christians who have experience or an understanding of psychedelics and plant medicines and allow them to share their experiences and opinions. Well, as I say, that sounds pretty interesting to me. So check out the website at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. I'll have a link up to that at tomwoods.com slash 2100. And remember, if you are thinking of starting a website or a blog and you would like to get promotion from me, all you got to do is get your hosting through my link. So before you start that site, go ahead and do that. And I'll give you promotion, membership in my bloggers group, some free tutorials, bunch of wonderful free things. Doesn't cost you an extra cent. You got to get hosting anyway. Might as well get my bonuses along with it. Get the details on how you can get all that stuff at tomwoods.com slash publicity. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of the Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.